Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. It's an honor to get to stand before you tonight and open up God's Word. If we haven't met yet, I'm Austin. I'm the Director of Missional Communities here. Um, And I'm excited to dive into what we have for us tonight. So uh, last week, as as Pastor Chris already said, our church has kind of kicked off a 21-day prayer focus. Um, If you haven't actively engaged in that, I encourage you to do so. It is so great to get to spend time with God in Word. And so um, tonight I want to spend our time looking at a prayer of Jesus. Not just any prayer, but Jesus' last and final public prayer with his disciples. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 17. John 17, while you're doing that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a situation when you're in the middle of something that you didn't want to be in the middle of, right? Isn't that just, isn't that the point of social media, like 100% of the time, right? (laughs) Um, I I have an image I would like to show you that kind of represents the tension that a mediator can feel in between, stuck in between two things. So this is my personal favorite, Captain America. If you've not seen the scene, he is holding on to the side of a building, and the other side is a helicopter. He's trying to hold them together. If Captain America isn't your thing, I got another one. This is Thor, (laughs) right? And so here, Thor is trying to hold a different dimension open, and he's, you know, facing. And if those two, you know, maybe superheroes aren't your thing, I have one more. (laughs) And this is Spider-Man. I'm seeing a theme here among the Marvel characters, right? Um, and this is, these, all these images represent the tension that we can often feel when we're stuck between something that we love and something that may be true or something that um, is not perfect and something that is. And I think these pictures are representations, and I, I don't think it is by chance that they're standing in a position in which our Savior stood, right? And we'll talk about that more. But the tension that Jesus felt, and tonight and over the next two, uh, this week and next week, we're going to see the tension that Jesus felt in, in John chapter 17 as our ultimate mediator, as our great high priest who would go to the Father on our behalf. There's a tension of Jesus reaching up and communicating with the Father, at the same time reaching down in community with his disciples and his church that he was building. And so if you, if you have your Bibles in John 17, let's take a look at tonight's passage. In verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke these things, talking to the disciples, and then looking up to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to everyone that you have given him. This 
is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to your people and, and that you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this word tonight. For the example that Jesus gives us as our mediator. Reaching up to you while holding on to us. Father, I pray that your word would speak to us in a, in a, in a new way tonight. God, that, you, that your spirit would illuminate in our heart what it is that you have for us to hear. Lord, I pray that you would bind up distractions so that we can focus on what you have to say for us. Father, empty me of myself. Fill me with you. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So look again at, at, at verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke these things and looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Let me stop right there for just a second. This, this is actually, I have three truths for us from this passage tonight that I want to talk about. This is my first truth. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. I love the Gospel of John. If you were to read straight through all four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would see that the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, share a lot of the similar stories from, through the similar lens. And, and they all view Jesus in a similar way. And John does as well, but you would also see that John tells the same story from a different lens. And John's focus is on the divinity of Jesus pulling out who the, the God-man that Jesus was. And so in the Gospel of John, we see that, that we see Jesus as the direct mediator a little bit more, more frequently than the other three Gospels. And so starting right in chapter 2, we see Jesus' first miracle. It's like John says, this is who Jesus is. In the beginning, he was the Word, the Word was with God, and then, and then the Word put on flesh, and boom, he starts doing miracles. And we know that Jesus was 33 when he began his ministry, or about 30 when he began his ministry. But in, Jesus, in John 2, Jesus' mom, Mary, brings a problem to him, to Jesus, and says, Jesus, they're at a wedding feast, and says, we're out of wine. And in John 2, 4, he says, what does this have to do with me, woman? If I spoke to my mom like that, it would not go so well for me, Right? <laughs> But he says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. That's kind of a strange uh, response, right? And then he goes on to, we all know he, he, he made what, turn water into wine. In chapter 7, again, Jesus has now escaped from Galilee because there are some Jews who are trying to kill him. And his brothers are telling him, you have to go to this Jewish festival and for the sake of your disciples seeing the work that you were doing. And he's basically telling him, put yourself in harm's way and see how Jesus responds. He says, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. 
And so Jesus says, if you feel so strongly about it, you go do the work. (laughs) And so, again, this theme, my time has not yet come. Immediately following that, so his brothers go to this Jewish festival, and Jesus just can't help himself. So he goes secretly, and then he's standing at the Jewish festival, and he can't help himself. So he walks in the temple, and he starts preaching. And it says in John 7, verse 30, it says, They tried to seize him because he's preaching in the temple, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. That same phrase, his hour has not yet come. Can you imagine being there? Jesus is like preaching in the temple and they're like, seize him. And like, nobody's doing anything. And so, and that happens actually one more time in John 8. Again, I, I could keep going, but the theme here is woven throughout John is that Jesus, as he is the God man, is working to a specific time in his life. And everything he is doing is leading to a specific time, a specific purpose in his life. And so we open up this prayer tonight, and Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. It hadn't come yet in those other stories, but the hour has come. And as the the disciples are just listening, and they have no clue what's about to happen, and they would later find out that this would be Jesus' final public prayer, the last time that he would go to God the Father on their behalf. As later that night, Jesus would be overturned to the guards, betrayed by Judas. So my question is, the hour for what? What is this hour that, that Jesus is referring to? Because then he goes on in verse one, he says, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. So he prays that he might be glorified so that in turn, he might glorify God. I want to pause here because this could kind of trip us up a little bit that Jesus is praying, Lord, glorify me. I don't, I don't want us to miss the fact that the purpose behind him praying to be glorified was so that he could bring glory to the Father. Those of us who are parents can, can understand this principle. If you were to come up and to give me a compliment on my, say, my outfit, I would be, I would be grateful because I, I put a lot of thought. I put a lot of, I tried really hard to find fit clothes that fit just right, that accentuate. But if you were to come up to me and say, I want to tell you that your son, man, he is just a great child. He is loving. He is kind. He listens and obeys. And he is, because yeah, he's not all that. But if you were to do that, the, my heart would be so much more gratified. And so when we as followers of Christ glorify the Son, God the Father is so much more gratified in that. And so Jesus is saying, glorify me so that you may be glorified. I also want to point out as children, as his church, children adopted into the family of God, there's nothing wrong with us praying and asking God to do a mighty work in us so that he could do a mighty work through us so that he receives the glory. But the temptation here is to say, how do we know if we're really in it for our glory or for his? There's kind of two ways that I follow here. Think about how you would feel first. If you, if God chose someone else to accomplish something that you have been praying for. If 
What if we as, as a pastoral team have been praying that God would spark a revival in Horizon West and God did just that, but he didn't do it through our church? Is it, Lord, build your kingdom or build our kingdom? So that's the first way. The second way is, how do you respond to suffering? Because God can still get the glory and God might get even more glory when Christians suffer joyfully, cheerfully, and faithfully. So Jesus was able to bring God glory through his suffering. That's why we can say what the enemy meant for evil, you turned it for good. That's why we can say, I'm going to see a victory because Jesus was victorious on the cross. So Jesus, his glory was found in humiliation. So um, God's timing is perfect. So we, tr we trust while we wait. So we trust while we wait. There are times when things might not go as we imagine, and perhaps some of our biggest humiliations in life, what the evil meant, or what the, what the devil meant for evil, you meant for good. God intends to bring him the most glory. Paul says, Paul says it like this in Philippians 3.10. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And if it ends there, yes and amen. I want to know him and the power, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. But Paul takes it a step further. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Paul's saying, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting God. You know what I need. And my goal is to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Why? For God's glory. That he may be elevated. So I have a question. Do you trust his timing? Do you trust his timing? Some of us in here might be asking God, when? God, when? Maybe you've been praying for a financial breakthrough or for a lost and wayward child, or maybe you're trying to start a family, or perhaps you've been laboring away at something that you feel God called you to, and it just hasn't, you haven't had that breakthrough moment, and you're saying, God, when? Are we trusting his timing? I would suppose many of us in here might actually be on the flip side of that coin and saying, God, why now? Why now? We're walking through such a hard time in this country, in this world, with this pandemic, and you choose now to do whatever it is that you are doing, whether it's your marriage is on the rocks or your, a passing of a loved one or a, a terrible prognosis, whatever that looks like. It's just a hard season. Why now? Jesus trusted God's timing while living in that tension. So church, let's do the same. Which brings me to my next truth in verse 2. It says, um, or in verse 1, it's God glorify your son so that he may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. The etern this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one, the only true God, and the one whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing my work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before you existed, before the world existed. So truth number two is this. God's glory 
is eternal. God's glory is eternal. Another way that Jesus would glorify his Father was through the authority that, that God gave him to be the giver of eternal life. Jesus gives glory because he has been given authority. And this is why Jesus can be found in the middle, struggling. He's been given authority over man, but he's also given that authority from God, the Father. So he's, he's in the middle, struggling to hold the hands of both his Father and his people. Hebrews 4, 15-16 says like this, For we do not have a high priest, that priestly role of going to the Father for the people's behalf, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So the author of Hebrews here knows that Jesus as our high priest, as someone who goes to the Father on his people's behalf, is able to sympathize and knows exactly what it's like to walk in this world and face temptation. He knows exactly what it's like to be abandoned by his friends in the moments that he needed them most. He knows exactly what it's like to feel as if no one is there for him, feel the weight of the world literally for all of eternity on his shoulders. Jesus did all of that so that he might give eternal life to all who believe. Now, I want to take a, make a very important side note here. Jesus defines for us exactly what eternal life is. Exactly what it is. And, and maybe you've never been to church before. You don't really know exactly what all this living forever means. It, it's, he says it right here in verse 3. This is eternal life. That, you, that they may know you. Remember, Jesus is talking to God, and so God the Father, that the people might know God the Father. The only true God and the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. So eternal life doesn't have to do with all of the stuff that we can make it be about. About having to get clean or having to make everything in order and having to eternal life is about knowing God the Father through Jesus Christ. We can know him and that's eternal life. John Piper says it this way, the great purpose of prayer is that through his gifts, God would be our joy. So we pray, not in, we can pray and ask things of God that he has placed on our hearts so that as God gives them or chooses to give them to us or not, that he would be our joy, that our eternal life would be found in him. And Jesus praying for himself, he prays that we might know God, the one true God, through a relationship with him. So God's glory is eternal, so we glorify him. So we that the natural response to God's glory is to glorify him. And you're like, well, duh, Austin. Like, of course, that, that sounds a bit redundant. Like, that's about like going to the doctor and saying, I want to live a healthier life. And he says, well, you have to do healthier habits. <laughs> like, how does that help? <laughs> I heard a story um, a couple years back. 
It goes like this. A farmer and his son were sitting on the front porch with about four of their hunting dogs. And one of them jumps up, starts barking, and takes off. And of course, naturally, when one does that, the other three jump up and start barking and all the hoopla, and the cloud, they leave in a cloud of dust. And the, and the dad says, to, the farmer says to his son, the dog that left first will be gone the longest. Okay? And so a few minutes go by and three of the dogs come back. And the son looks at his dad and says, how did you know that? And about that time, the first dog comes back over the hill with a rabbit in his mouth. And the farmer says, because that dog saw the rabbit. Because that dog saw the rabbit. The natural response of a hunting dog trained to get after rabbits when they see a rabbit is to chase it. I would actually say the natural response as a believer in seeing God's goodness and his glory is celebrating his goodness and his glory. And so I want to draw that distinction here. God's glory here, we actually have it up here for you. God's glory, the glory of God is a noun. It's a thing. It's his goodness displayed. To glorify God is his goodness celebrated. It's something that we do. And I think the great pitfall of many church members is that we think that we come to church and we see God's goodness. And so we kind of just follow along with everything that everyone's doing here. And then we go home and we go about our day. And we don't actually see the rabbit. And we don't actually see the goodness of God. And because we're coming here and we carry things on our heart and we're thinking about all the, all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes with our jobs and with our families. And instead of seeing God's goodness for who he is, for what he's done in our lives. And so when we see his goodness, we celebrate his goodness. Just as Jesus demonstrates in this prayer, we can do this through prayer because prayer is simply a response to who God is. So when we're worshiping, we're reading scripture, we see his holiness, we make prayers of worship. When we see his mercy, we see that he doesn't give us what we deserve. We make prayers of confession. When we see his grace, we give prayers of thanksgiving. When we see his love, we tell others about him. We celebrate his love, his goodness to others. So my question is, do you know him as the one true God? Because none of the, none of the rest of this matters if, if, if you don't know him in his heart, and who he is, and how he loves you? And if so, ask yourself genuinely, are you glorifying him? Are you celebrating his goodness? We should be celebrating his goodness, and we do that through faithful time in his word, by worshiping corporately and individually, by telling others of his goodness, and by demonstrating his, good, by demonstrating his goodness in the community. So we can come out to things like spring fling and we can give stuff away and we can celebrate and we can do, we can demonstrate the goodness of God in the community. So at this point in his prayer, Jesus kind of closes the section on which he's praying for himself and begins praying for his disciples. 
And so Chris is going to look at that a little further next week. But I wanted to look at the first few verses of, of what he says for his disciples. So uh, read with me in, seven, in verses 6 through 8. It says, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and known for certain that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now this is kind of confusing with you and me and they and Gim and yeah. Um, but here's the truth, the third truth that I see. God's mystery is revealed through Jesus. God's mystery is revealed through Jesus. Look again, so in verse four, it's, it, he just finished saying, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And then in verse six, he says, I have revealed your name to the people. So what is the work that Jesus came to do uh, that he has completed? To reveal God's name, God the Father and who he was. Again, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews just gets this concept. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. So we can know when we're looking at the life of Jesus, in the heart of Jesus, when he says, pray, glorify me so that I may glorify you, we, we can know that we're looking at the perfect radiance of God's exact nature and who he is and how he loves. And so Jesus saw a gap in Philippians 2. It says that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself, taking on the very form and nature of a servant, stepping down off of the throne into the people's world and becoming obedient, even, to, even obedient to death on a cross. That is who God is. That is his love for you, that he would send his only son who was with him in perfect harmony to live in flesh. Why? Because Christian, there's a Christian philosopher, Blaise Pascal, he called it the God-shaped vacuum that is in our heart. And when we search as hard and as long as we may, it can only be filled. That void can only be filled by God. So, if God's mystery is revealed through Jesus, we pursue Jesus. We pursue Jesus. Look again at verse 8. Because I have given them the words that you gave me. Why do we pursue him? Because he has given us the words of God. That they may know and they know from, have known from certain that I came from you. J. Oswald Chambers says it this way. He says, the praying Christian wields no personal power, but power nonetheless delegated by a victorious Christ to whom the faithful believer is united by faith. So we pursue God because not because we have a power of our own, but because Jesus himself has given us a power. When I think about pursuing Jesus, I think about my friend Tyrese, who... As a 19-year-old college student I met on the college campus of Wake Tech Community College, he was working 50 hours a week and failing every single one of his classes. So I met Tyrese, and, and 
Um, the problem was he was waking up, he, was, he had problems waking up for class. He couldn't get motivated to do his homework. And so I invited Tyrese to come to church with me. And he comes up to me after, and he came, and he comes up to me afterwards and he says, I've gone to church all of my life and I've never met that Jesus that that preacher just talked about. And so he and I set a schedule and we say, hey, every Monday we're going to meet at this time and we're going to open up scripture. We're going to talk about it and and you're going to have homework. You're going to have to read scripture on your own time and we're going to really unpack some of the things that you've been reading. And every single week, Tyrese showed up on time and he had done his homework. And so as he's talking to me about failing his grades and everything is falling apart. And I said, Tyrese, why? Why are you failing? Or why, if you're failing in this area, why are you showing up and and doing all that here? He said, I guess I just saw the rabbit. I guess I just, see, the illustration I used earlier was actually not my own. I used it. Um, And Tyrese was there for that service when the preacher used that illustration. And he got it. He was changed because he was in, he saw the goodness of God. And he wanted to celebrate the goodness of God. So I have a question. What keeps you from pursuing Jesus? Is it your work hours? Is it finding motivation? What keeps you from pursuing Jesus? Because here's the truth as the band comes to play. Here's the truth. Jesus didn't stop praying for us in chapter 17. And I want to close with this thought. So every priest in scripture had kind of a primary job. Again, going to the Father on the people's behalf, making priestly sacrifices, meaning the priest would offer an unblemished lamb to cover the atonement of the sin of man. And so Jesus, after finishing up this kind of priestly prayer where he's praying for the church and and we just kind of barely dipped into that tonight. As he's finishing up the priestly prayer, he goes to the garden and he's overturned. Why? To be the ultimate sacrifice. Instead of making another sacrifice, He sacrificed himself. And um, in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifice time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Church, Jesus offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for you. He came to earth so that you might know him, so that you might know who God is, to to receive that, to have eternal life. So what do we do? We trust his timing. We pursue him. We glorify him. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. 
If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.